Welcome to the 13th episode of Far From Home, a podcast that encourages biblical perspectives on immigration and inspires faith in action. I'm your host, Mabel Nainan, and I'm so glad you joined me today. In this episode, you will meet Shireen Joseph, a writer who was born in India but spent most of her formative years in Oman in the Middle East. She moved to the U.S. after getting married almost 20 years ago. Shireen is a parent to two children and she calls Dallas, Texas home. In this episode, Shireen shared her experiences as a third culture kid and talked about navigating life between cultures and traditions. She also discussed the important role immigrant churches play in the lives of diaspora Christians. Toward the end of the episode, Shireen and I chat about the struggles and blessings of parenting as immigrants. This episode reminded me that God is with us through all of life's transitions. We might move from one place to another or go through seasons of change, but God remains the same. His character does not change. We can count on His faithfulness and steadfast love toward us. His promises remain true. We can hold on to them and trust in Him. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends about it. And I would like to share some exciting news with you. My book, Far From Home, Discovering Your Identity as Foreigners on Earth, won the Kristen Market Book Award for 2022 Kristen Living Book of the Year. I'm humbled and honored and grateful to God for His favor upon me. In Far From Home, I draw from my personal experience as an immigrant and I examine the lives of biblical characters to shed light on how we can live with purpose and joy as citizens of heaven and foreigners on earth. The book's available on Amazon and other popular online retailers. I hope you will check it out. Hi and welcome to Far From Home with me, Mabel Nainan, your host. Our guest today is Shireen Joseph. Shireen and I met through the Redbud Writers mm-hmm. Guild and I was so excited to get to know her through her writings mainly because uh, I felt like uh, she was talking about things and writing about things that were so close to my heart. Uh, we're both immigrants from India, so the another common thing we share and I'm so happy to have her here on the podcast with us. Uh, welcome, Shireen. Hi, Mabel. Thank you for having me. A little bit about Shireen. She writes about the intersection of faith, culture, and community. She's a third culture kid by way of India, Oman, and the United States, and has lived most of her life as an immigrant Indian. A graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary, she loves long conversations over good coffee, murder mystery books, and British TV shows. Her greatest joy is sharing with others how Jesus has been her constant through life's challenges in the immigrant experience. And while her identity is firstly a Christ follower, she also lives her life fully as an Indian American. I love that. I feel like that last sentence, I can apply to myself. So let's start with your with the basics of your immigrant journey. What took you from India to Oman and then Oman to the US? Moving from India to Oman was really a decision that my parents made because he moved in 1983. So this was back in the day when a lot of people from India were going to the Middle East and or to the Gulf, as they would call it, the Arabian Gulf 
for just better opportunities financially because they wanted to make a little bit more income to support their families. And my dad worked in marketing and he got a job and he moved there and he was there for between three to six months alone because back in the day, they only gave the work permit for one person in the family. And so he was there for about six months and it was really hard for him to be away from my mother and me and the rest of his family as well. And when he came back after the first six months, he brought back all of his things because he didn't want to go back. But luckily, the company gave him a family visa. And so he was able to take my mother and me back. So my fifth birthday was in Oman. I stayed there from the age of five till completed 12th grade high school. And my parents continued to stay there till 2012. And in 2012, they moved back uh, to India. And so I grew up there in the immigrant Indian community in the Middle East. And that was most of my formative experience of being a little girl, being a teenager in the Indian church and in the non-Christian circles. And our son was actually born there. So after getting married and when I was expecting our son, my mom worked in a hospital there. And so she wanted me to come and have the baby there. I have a little bit of time in Oman after the time that he was born. We were there. For, I was there for about maybe four months. And once they moved back in 2012, that was the end of our, the Middle Eastern of my life came to an end. I want to take our kids back to Oman at some point to show them where I grew up and because it's changed so much, but uh, we haven't managed to do that as yet. Hopefully soon. I sometimes want to take my son back to the places where I lived and all mm -hmm. that because uh, it just seems like a far away place, uh, even in, in our minds, right? Mm -hmm. And unlike people who are not immigrants who can their kids understand, oh, this is where, this is the same culture my mom grew up in. Yeah. But <laughs> it's slightly different for us. Before we go into the parenting aspect of it, I just wanted to ask you, so what took you to the US? Was it uh, after you got married? Mm -hmm. So moving to the US was three years after getting married. And it was again for work. My husband worked in a company which had an opportunity here in the US. And so his team asked him to come here for a short time. So he came for one month and then the one month was extended to three months where they said you could bring your family because very young, like our son was under two. And then the three months became six months and then six months became a year. And now fast forward, it's 20 years plus. And so it was for work again. And so we moved to Michigan. That was where we started our U.S. journey. And then Texas came calling in 2006. And once we moved to Texas, we never moved out. <laughs> so Dallas became home. And that's where we've been since 2006. Yeah. So it was all for work, actually. Yeah. Okay. And we didn't really make the decision to... It wasn't a conscious choice about staying here. It was like one year at a time. My husband always wanted to go back because he was very rooted to India and to his extended family and his parents. And he always thought we would go back. Obviously, being a child who grew up in the Middle East, I did not really have the same ties to India that he had. Mm -hmm. He always calls himself the son of the soil. So uh, <laughs> he had more of a, a, like a traditional upbringing, which is comparable to those who are born and raised here in the US. Like you grow up in one town, you go to your grandparents' house for Christmas or you do events and then you come back. So it's very, it's very connected to 
one place. Whereas I was always a little bit of a transplant because grew up in, in the Middle East, went to India for summer, went for Christmas, came back. He always wanted to go back, but somewhere along the line, we unconsciously made the choice that maybe this is where we're supposed to be. We had our kids and we were raising the children here and this has become a temporary home for now. So we'll see where life takes yeah. us. I forgot to ask you at the beginning a question that I ask a lot of my immigrant friends is share a favorite memory uh, mm-hmm. from your childhood, whether it is India or Oman. Yeah, I think for Oman, I actually, I, I shared this with my kids when they were in school and doing a traditions book in elementary school. Do you, when I was growing up in Oman for Christmas service, our service used to be at 1130 in the night. We would do the watch night service in the in Indian church. And so everybody would go to church by 11 o'clock. So the service would end by one o'clock, one to one fifteen, And then because most of us didn't eat a very big dinner because you were going to be awake for the most of the service. And at the end of the service, they'll always offer you a, a cup of tea and a slice of cake, which is very traditional to Indian churches. But on the drive back home, my father and my mom and all of their friends there was this little convenience store attached to a gas station on the drive back home. And he was this, he was this Malayali guy from the state of Kerala. And he would keep his store open because he was a Christian and he would keep his store open, but he would make hamburgers. And, and we would stop at that gas station and all the adults would get out and have tea and burgers and all the kids, we would get these hot and spicy burgers, which we'd sit on top of the car, on the trunk of the car, or on the in the front of the car, and we'd eat them. And that was just, it's just a memory which stayed in my head because I must have been so young then, 8, 10, 11 years old. But it was just what we did together as a group of friends. And in the similar fashion in India, where I've done very few Christmases in India, I've not done that many of them. But my older cousin brothers would always take all the younger cousins to a vegetarian place after the Christmas service, which was open, and get us all milkshakes and ice cream. So the parents wouldn't go, but the older brothers would take a car and take all the younger cousins. And we'd have the milkshakes and ice cream, and then they'd come and drop us off at home. So it was always a fun thing that we did after the Christmas service. And so somehow that's just stayed in my head for all of these years. Yeah, happy memories, good times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and that's one thing that when I first came to the US, I found it strange that many churches here do not have a service on Christmas Day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or Christmas Eve. And so I was like, what do I do with myself? <laughs> Traditionally, it's either Christmas Eve, we don't celebrate it at home, just with yeah. family, opening gifts. That was a foreign concept to me. But we are in church or on Christmas Day, there is a service. And yeah. that's where we meet everyone and all the relatives and everybody in church. That's exactly. the time. <laughs> yeah, you exactly. Meet and it's just food and fa- and the whole day just passes by you don't even know mm-hmm. how yeah um, yeah yeah it's ahead. very so- in- interesting yeah it's it was extremely weird for us and because for the longest time in the US we were part of an Indian church and so we've tried the Christmas Eve services but our Indian church always did a Christmas day service so 
we would be there by 9.30 in the morning. We'd have a service. We'd sing the Christmas carols. And then we'd have this huge feast, like a community meal. And everybody would go back home around two o'clock and crash yeah. because we're all so tired. Yeah. <laughs> and then in the evening, everyone would get together in somebody's house. So yeah. we'd bring whatever the leftovers or you made something. So you made an idli or a dosa or you bring the batter or you bring the leftover chapatis, the chicken curry or something. Yeah. <laughs> and then you would get together, you'd have this big meal, you'd play Pictionary or sh or charades, and we'd finally end the day around midnight or 1am. And yeah. so that's how it always used to be. Even growing up, we had either a Christmas Eve service or a Christmas Day service. And then we'd come home and exchange snacks and cake and this and that. And there was always a meal at the end of the day with a group. Yeah. Um, and yeah. being an immigrant, it was always with extended friends who became our family. Mm -hmm. It was never just family that was biological DNA. And it was yeah. always open to everybody. Yeah. And so uh, the whole concept of uh, opening gifts on, on, on Christmas Day, we didn't get gifts. <laughs> Yeah, me too. <laughs> we, we didn't do Christmas gifts. There yeah, was no concept totally of gifts. That. Yeah. And our children are all about the gifts. Yeah. So there was no concept of gifts. So it's very, yeah, all these things change as you move and you make yeah. new traditions. And we've actually missed that so much that this last year we started doing that, that on Christmas mm -hmm. Day, we host our Indian mm -hmm. friends and we invite them over here. Yeah. Uh, whoever's like us, missing family and uh, yeah. friends and their churches. So we hope to continue, make it a tradition every year that friends can come over um, yeah. on, on Christmas Day. So anyway, yeah. talking about differences in culture, when you first arrived in the U.S., uh, was it difficult to adjust to the different mm -hmm. ways of American life? And I mostly, when I look at my journey, I've been here 15 years. I've seen it in different phases. In the beginning, it was difficult. And then certain things get easier. Certain things mm -hmm. never get easier. So I'm curious, what has your experience been? And maybe this could be eye-opening to some people who don't have immigrant friends or who don't know mm -hmm. what they go through. Because on the surface, some of us seem like very well adjusted. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure there are struggles and there are some parts of culture that we learn we unlearn some Indian mannerisms <laughs> and we learn American yeah. ways so can you give us some examples of things that were a struggle for you yeah so like I said we moved 2000 uh, to 2004 and we moved to Michigan and I I landed up in Michigan in October so within two to three weeks of being there I experienced the first snow and the whole the whole concept of moving from Chennai, which is hot and <laughs> tropical, to traveling in jeans and sweaters and learning to get used to wearing socks and shoes itself was an interesting thing in the first year of life in the, like in a cold state because I didn't spend that much of my life wearing socks and shoes. But if you live in Michigan, you wear footwear, which keeps your feet warm for the majority of at least for six months of a year. And so just every single thing going to the grocery store was nerve was extremely nerve wracking and overwhelming. Um, I've never been in such huge grocery stores, even in the Middle East. Now the Middle East has big hypermarkets. So things have changed. But even back when I was growing up, they were still small stores. So the stores are really big. 
coming from India, which has a lot of the colonial terminology and all of like all of the remnants of the colonial rule, a lot of the verbiage in the U.S. is different. I still remember asking my husband within a week of landing in the U.S. to go to the grocery store or to Meyer. It was Meyer, and I said, "Can you bring back a few packets of biscuits?" Oh, Because yeah. <laughs> our son was only he was under two and he wanted biscuits. And my husband came back with four cans of Pillsbury the biscuits, and I was like, "What is this? I've never seen this." And he said, "This is what the guy told me when I asked him for biscuits." And I realized, okay, so biscuits in the U.S. really means bread, which you bake in the oven, and if you want cookies, which uh-huh. is what biscuits. I had to learn the terms. Same thing gas, with pickles, right? Yeah, pickles, pickles, yeah, pickles <laughs> gas, and fuel, and like. the trunk of a car and so the verbiage started to change and the first time i filled my car with gas which was almost a year after we moved to the us because in india we don't normally fill our cars with gas you go and park there's somebody who does it for you i was very proud of myself for the first time i of course i had to learn to drive and everything and the first time i filled my car with gas so there were so many cultural things which in the united states people take for granted because it's such a big country and i a lot of the people aren't aware of the bigger world that exists outside of the us some people are but not all of them and so there was just a lot of things that i had to learn to adjust and get used to and one thing that we have become a little more western in the way that we wear shoes inside of the house in india you don't normally wear shoes inside of the house so for the longest time my husband would be like take your shoes off when you come inside the house now we've all become used to wearing shoes and so either you have home shoes and outside shoes or you just end up wearing shoes in the home you know so those are things that we've adapted to the western culture and the way of doing things but it was a huge cultural adjustment moving to the US it's been more than 20 years now so we've learned to balance both cultures and hold them but there's always times when one will take like a higher precedence over the others and it depends on the kind of people that were entertaining if there's an indian crowd in the house there's a certain different vibe and when it's our american <laughs> yeah. friends whom we love dearly it's just a different way of doing things so you adapt and you learn and you take the best from both the cultures that's the best way to live you like you take the best from both and you create your own yeah. somewhere yeah. in between the two yeah That's beautifully said. I I totally agree. That's what been one of the biggest blessings of my immigrant journey is when I learned to do that and see that as a blessing that I get mm-hmm. to experience both cultures and to be able to make my own mix mm-hmm. of yeah. both. Uh, that's yeah. such a blessing. So you mentioned earlier that you were part of an immigrant church for a long mm-hmm. time and your recent article uh, from your newsletter was also about your time in the immigrant church mm-hmm. so can you talk more about that uh, what was your experience like and for some viewers or listeners who don't know what an immigrant church is maybe you can tell us what an immigrant church is and your time there what do you see as the blessings or the challenges of an immigrant church yeah the Im- immigrant church i would loosely define as just a church with the commi- with 
a community of believers who are part of the diaspora. So as Indians, when we live in the U.S. or in the U.K. or other countries, we are the Indian diaspora. And so the immigrant church is usually uh, built or planted to serve the needs of the diaspora community. So when we first came to the U.S., we attended an American church near where we lived in the apartment. And it was great, but it didn't really we didn't really feel like we fit in or we belonged there. So when we met someone at a grocery store who got talking to us and said that, hey, there's an Indian church in elsewhere. So was that an Indian grocery store? Yeah, it was an Indian grocery <laughs> yeah. store. And we ended up attending this little immigrant yeah. church which only had about five or six families. And they mm. were a church plant of a bigger Lutheran church. Mm-hmm. And so we had the service inside there at 11 o'clock in the morning. And it was a really small church. And we were there for about a year and a half until we moved to Dallas. And when we moved to Dallas, within the first month, we were determined to find a church. And we really wanted to find an Indian church because we were missing the Indian community so much. And we didn't know anything in Irving because that's where we stayed in Las Colinas. And we didn't know anybody. And I happened to call the pastor of a church in Houston, who told me about a church in Dallas. So got the address back. This was before iPhone days and before Google Maps and all of that. We drove to this church at 845 in the morning and we got in and we sat down in the in the last row because they had already begun the service at nine o'clock and we were late. There was a couple in front of us. And my husband was, I think I know this lady. I'm like, I, I don't know, but you no, know, like she's praying, so don't disturb her. But once a prayer was done, he tapped her on the shoulder and he said hello. And she turned around and she was like, oh my gosh, Joe. So it turned out this lady was his engineering classmate of four years back in India. They wow. were in the same class for four years. She was really good friends with him and his cousin. And they hadn't seen each other for almost the whole time between engineering and now. But we ended up at the same church as them. And we just stayed there for 14 years. And it was the community that we were longing for so much because everybody there was an immigrant. The majority of the families were at the same life stage as us. They were young families with little children under the age of three. We were all starting out. And it was a funny joke that we would say that everybody's house had a H-1B lamp and a H-1B <laughs> card table. <laughs> Because you would get this H-1B card table at Sam's Club or Costco with four chairs. And everybody had a Walmart H-1B lamp, which looked identical because it was all that we could afford. We all lived in a one-bedroom apartment and we all shopped at either a Walmart or a Sam's Club or a Costco. Uh, So we had the same kind of dishes, the same kind of cars, the same appliances at home. Uh, But there was so much of commonality in the fact that we were all going through the same life experiences and on that journey. And so the immigrant church really filled that void. And this was in the early 2000s. Life has definitely changed now. An immigrant from India to the U.S. or any other, I can speak for the Indians, they don't necessarily have the same experiences because the economic status has gone up. People just make more or a better income. And so you can afford a lot more nicer things. So you're not necessarily shopping at a Walmart anymore. You could land up and go to a higher end store or buy everything that you want from Ikea or from a furniture store within a week. But this was 
20 years ago, we were all finding our way and trying to add things on. And so the church really was our family. It became our community where we could go and we could really be ourselves and bring our whole self to the table. So that's where we were for 14 years until we moved. What do you think the immigrant church does right? If there is one or two things, if there are one or two things that other churches can learn from immigrant churches, what would you say that is? They definitely do community well. I remember within a year of coming to our Indian, old Indian church, I was expecting our second child. And I had a lot of complications with that pregnancy. I was on bed rest for a very long time. And I don't even think there was sign of genius at that time. Maybe there was, I don't remember. But between the time that I was on bed rest in my eight month of pregnancy, and then my father had a heart attack the week that our daughter was born. So my parents couldn't come be with me. We were trying to navigate having a newborn and a four-year-old at the same time. I got fresh food every day. There was somebody who would show up at our, door, at our apartment door every day before nine o'clock in the morning, before they went to work with fresh Indian food. There was always sambar or rice or rasam. And somebody brought me a container full of batter to make the dosas because as soon as I could move, I could just make a few for ourselves. And so they would just do community really well. And they still do. If you are sick or if there's there's a loss in the family or there's something that's going wrong, people will show up and they will step up. And it's very organic. It's mm-hmm. not very um, constructed. Okay, I'm going to bring food on this particular day and here's the menu, which I'm not saying it's bad. It's good to have some amount of structure because with organic community, the fridge can get really full of food and then you have (laughs) too much of it, but they will really step up. They will do that. And if you ever need a drive to the airport, if you ever need a lift from the airport, you just need to call somebody and they will show up. I've never had an experience where someone has said that, oh, we can't take you to the airport right now because we have another commitment. Yeah, They will just show up. And so community is something that the immigrant church has done well in the past and still continues to do well. They are willing to inconvenience themselves for the sake of others, which I love because you can just pick up the phone and call somebody. Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't have to think twice about it. That is what they do really well. Is there anything they struggle with or they need help uh, or... In any area. Yeah, the area that they would struggle with is because the immigrant church is really built around trying to create the space for family and for connections as a church and as a group of people who, who love the Lord and who, who need to grow in the knowledge of God and of the spirit and in knowledge of scriptures. Sometimes they fall short in discipleship. In, in trying to teach people how to build that individual walk with God where people can really grow in their knowledge because unless you can't know God apart from the scripture, if you yeah. need to know him, you need to know his word. We lack some of the training and the diligent teaching and the biblically based teaching which is needed in order. So people love God. They love God and they know the gospel, but that's not really translated into how they live as spiritually mature Christians. And so Mm -hmm. very often the faith is very fledgling and very childlike. It doesn't always necessarily grow to a very mature faith because people are not really digging deep into the word. And like iron sharpens iron, having those 
those Bible-based conversations and topics about books of the Bible and why this is happening and the history and going back into for whom this was written, why this was written, and just the whole, the theology part of it sometimes is lacking. And we tend to fail a little bit in that. Not all churches, but from my experience, the majority of the churches struggle with that. So they find it hard. Yeah, I understand. And I also feel like maybe the our children, first or mm-hmm. second generation kids being raised here might also after a while have a problem connecting with mm-hmm. culture in an immigrant yeah. church yeah. because they're being raised in a different culture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, um, they do. Our kids find that disconnect quite a bit because we raise our children in the way that we know how to raise them as Indians, as Indian parents and primarily in an Indian community. But then once our children start to go to school, they are out of the house for eight to 10 hours of a day. Yeah. And they are in a different school with American teachers and their culture is different and that forms them and that shapes them. And so the formation which they have is two different types of of formation. And then our children usually have to, they struggle in trying to find that in between and trying to balance that. And that takes them a lifetime to learn because we as adults are trying to figure that out. But for our kids, especially if they're born here, they struggle even harder to find that sweet spot. And that takes, it takes a lifetime of learning and dialogue and conversations with um, others. Yeah. Yeah. Not just for them, even for us as parents, Mm-hmm. Um, there is so much more that we are learning as we parent. And yeah. our struggles are also unique compared to someone who's not an immigrant. I remember, for example, when my son started going to school and he was in second or third grade, I don't remember, maybe first or second grade. And there was a spelling bee competition. And I just get a note saying he is entered in the competition. And I said, when did this happen? So the teacher said, she spoke to him. She asked him if he wants to do it or not. And because he said yes, then she tells us. And I'm thinking, this is backwards. You first ask me. (laughs) What does a child know, right? But then even in the schools, the importance is so much on the individual development. Individual. Or or independence. They are Mm -hmm. training the child to be so independent. And sometimes that does that just does not. <laughs> it does, yeah. I have to step back. And even recently, uh, last year, again, the same thing. He told me he finished even uh, taking part in some contest, some math Olympiad or something. Uh, and he's waiting for the result. I said, when did this happen? <laughs> he said, our teacher asked us and we entered this contest. And I'm surprised that they keep parents out of so many out decisions. Of decisions. Yeah. Uh, but here's the funny, to be but a here's the important question. Did your son win the spelling bee? Yeah. He was there saying. you go. <laughs> but, That's why the teacher put him in the spelling bee. <laughs> but she asked him and I know him. He's a he's lazy. So I don't know what she said to him to convince him, but even if he would have said no. We as parents, we know he's good at it. So we would have yes. pushed him to pushed do it. Him. That's the Indian parent in me. That's it. <laughs> so, so even if you would have said no, and that's how Indian teachers do it, right? They go to the parents yeah. first and it's up to the parents yes. to convince the child. Yes. Really. Yeah. Um, yes. So that kind of, I'm sometimes scared how much 
that that independence where will that lead to but again i'm still learning and as a christian right the bible becomes the main source of all our mm. parenting wisdom so yeah. let's talk about how do you balance these cultural differences versus i'm a christian mom first and do you see like a struggle with all of those thoughts yeah we could talk for hours on parenting just just on the topic of parenting but with being an immigrant parent i often say this being a parent is hard being an immigrant parent is harder it's really complicated because i have seen the way friends of mine my cousins family members parent their children in india each time we go back and kids of the same age i've seen the way that they parent it's not that much different from the way that i was raised or my husband was raised things have changed because times have changed there is more modernity and of course the country has changed but there's a lot of things which are very similar in essence that hasn't changed but you come here and then you start to raise a family here the rule book that you have is gone and yeah. there is mm-hmm. no blueprint there is no formula for immigrant parenting because from the moment that you have a baby everything is different yeah. our son was born in the middle east and his infancy was mainly in india and so a lot of what i did to raise him from how i the diapers to the clothes to the foods and everything was still within a very indian framework of indian doctors following the advice of my mother-in-law of my yeah. grandmother that's what i did but fast forward 4 years our daughter was born here <laughs> and just the way that her infancy was the things that i did to raise her i didn't listen to any of my mother's instructions at that time <laughs> i followed what my gynecologist and what the pediatrician told me right was whatever they said if they said no solid food for the first 6 months there was no solid food for the first 6 <laughs> months whereas with our son there was solid food in the first 3 months and i had to answer to my mom and my mother in law like why aren't you doing any solid food because the doctor told me not to do it and then you're dealing with the fact that your mother is upset with you because you're listening to these modern doctors in the us because you think that they know it all whereas we have years of experience so from that infancy stage through through preschool through kindergarten through everything that you do everything is different and you adapt the way that you parent to the culture that you're living in and that's really hard because if your spouse and you don't agree on some of those things there's constant tension and so my husband and I have had a lot of struggles in that because his parenting style is different from mine and added to the fact that I was more willing to adapt to some of the cultural things while he was like we're not going to adapt to all of that we're going to do it the way that we know and so that has that has caused some amount of strife and tension in the teenage years especially for our kids and so it's caused us to turn a lot more to god and to depend on him and to really trust in god's wisdom and find a formula that works for our family so yeah. the formula mm-hmm. that works for the rajadurai family Excuse is me. not what will work for your family you yeah. have to find mm-hmm. that there's elements in it which we can all adapt but we each have to find something that works for us what i would say is really the one thing that we have learned is if i had to say something to younger immigrant families is really talk to your kids 
really spend time in listening to your children and understanding what they go through in the culture outside of the home because we have no idea of this the tension and the stresses and the challenges that they yeah. face in mm-hmm. middle school high school the pressure of the outside culture is immense yeah um, don't be like an ostrich with its head in the in the ground yeah. be aware of pop culture yeah. and what they are under what they go through so that you can have you can listen to them and have yeah. that dialogue so yeah. um talking to our kids is super important that's such a helpful tip especially because i feel like i don't know what it is like to grow up here mm-hmm. as a minority i <clears throat> went to schools in india where i was like everyone else so i don't know the stress that is caused by being the only indian kid in church in mm-hmm. or in school or in class or things like that or knowing very well being aware that culturally you're different that your skin color is different so yeah. i always try to be aware of that put myself in my son's shoes because his experience is just so drastically different yeah. from my childhood experience and like you said that's where god's wisdom comes in uh, mm-hmm. right and my prayer is also to give my son uh, a strong foundation in scripture so that his identity is centered around god and mm-hmm. and even though he's got this unique cultural identity first yeah. and foremost he sees himself as a child of god yeah absolutely it is hard for our kids we have to find a way to engage with engage them and i'm also aware that because our children are older that our as our kids grow up here they form their own unique diaspora culture mm-hmm. which is a blend of two or three they bring that to the table and it's just interesting because we have a son who's 20 and so his friends are that age and older so they're young adults so it's been really interesting for us to see how they're creating their own diaspora the culture and blending the best of being indian and being american into that and so there's a beauty in that and so as the future generations grow it's probably going to change and yeah so a lot of immigrant parenting like all parenting is done on our knees praying and tr- and just trusting god for wisdom yeah absolutely thank you so much shireen for talking with us i felt like i could go on talking <laughs> you <laughs> have so much ours, wisdom yes. <laughs> to share and tell us where can our listeners or viewers find you or contact you is it through your website Uh yeah you can contact me on the website I'm also on Facebook and um Twitter and Instagram yeah so on <laughs> all the socials trying to be um trying to connect with people so I'm always happy to engage with people who just want to this has been a, a pleasure and a blessing and I will put a link to your website in mm-hmm. the show notes so thank you so much uh, for talking with us thank you so much Mabel thank you for joining us today on far from home a podcast that encourages biblical perspectives on immigration and inspires faith in action. I'm your host Mabel Nainen. I would like to invite you to join our private Facebook group Far From Home Podcast, a place where you can share your thoughts and comments. I also share extra scenes and behind the scenes snippets on this Facebook group. I can't wait to meet you there and listen to what you have to say. If you want to know more about Far From Home or about me, go to mabelnainan.com. Some episodes of this podcast are available in video format on my YouTube channel, Mabel Nainan.
Be sure to check that out if you're interested in watching the interesting conversations I have with the guests on this podcast. Thanks again for listening and I'm so glad you joined us today. Until next time. Goodbye.